Hey, what's up everyone? My name is Alan Delisle. I am the technical sales coordinator over here at Philips Precision. Welcome to Delivering Perfect Parts Faster. I want to say thank you so much for checking us out today. Here at Philips, we're a manufacturing laboratory where breaking bottlenecks with industry-changing work holding, cutting-edge technology, and process improvements are helping the industry deliver perfect parts faster. And if you like what you hear today, I encourage you to head over and follow us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and check us out at www.philips-precision.com for access to guest info, company info, all of our product lines, as well as videos and demonstrations. And if you're looking for a better way to get parts through inspection faster, give us a shout. We have engineers and designers in-house to answer questions and help develop the effective concepts that you need to deliver perfect parts faster. We very much enjoy having you with us, so be sure to come back for future episodes as we continue our discussion with industry experts on delivering perfect parts faster. Thanks for checking us out again, and we hope that you enjoyed today's show. Today we're sitting down with Matt Menard and Michael Persley from Summit Manufacturing Systems, as well as Steve Phillips, our founding father here at Phillips Precision. And we're talking about the important technical details of an effective CMM program, as well as effective fixturing, and uh, as well as using the inspection process as a way to more efficiently control your production process, rather than just a way to check for compliancy. Matt, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, so my name is Matt Menard. Uh, I'm one of the founding members of Summit Manufacturing Systems. Uh, we've been in business now for about mm, three years. This is year four. And uh, what we really focus on is metrology, uh, specifically when it comes to CMMs uh, and getting that technology used correctly throughout the industry. Perfect. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Doing great. Michael Persley, Matt's partner, one of the three partners at Summit. Um, like Matt said, focusing on metrology, you know, making metrology work for manufacturing is what we do. Um, and it, and, and it, it runs the gamut from process to CMMs to um, SPC to automation and all in between. Excellent. That's awesome. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, so my name is Steve Phillips, uh, co-owner and uh, president of Phillips Precision. What are you guys seeing as far as like the current state of the industry as you know, right now? Well, actually, from the metrology labs, actually, from when I see metrology labs, you're starting to see that kind of environment change. Uh-huh. Um, something Matt works a lot on is, um, you know, putting inspection equipment at the point of manufacture. Um, so that um, you, you, I think in the future, you'll actually see that, you know, the large-scale lab start to go away mm-hmm. as that moves more out to, this, out, out to the shop floor mm-hmm. and as technology changes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think fixturing plays a large role in that, uh, especially the modular fixing, being able to – because it's, it's usually one type part or one part family going through the cells. You're not running several different part types through these types of cells. So having that module fixing is very advantageous. Simply able to put, you know, one plate up, get it all set up, store it for as the part runs. So, right, right. Yeah, yeah the, things are gearing are heading more towards in process inspection right. out on the shop floor. But it also leads itself to automation too. Mm-hmm. You can get that organized, and Matt can speak to that. You know, you know having an or, you know, a set fixturing system that you can simply load and unload on a on a plate is very advantageous to to automation. Got it. Got it. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely goes hand in hand. Um, so when you're when you're engineering for metrology and things yes. like that on the machines, yes. And, and with that, obviously, you're coming up with the fixturing solution that has to go along with it too. When you guys are coming up with your fixturing solutions, um, you know what is required of a CMM fixture. What are some of the things that are well, the, the 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 basic you know fundamental first most important thing is it has to be static. 
you know, has to hold it, you know, stationary in the same place. You know, it can't move around. It can't be adjusted. So that's, that's the first criteria you must meet. Well, what we typically see is a lot of times you get the same guys designing your CMM fixturing that are designing your milling fixturing. And when they do that, it's so overkill and expensive for what it needs to be. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of times the fixturing weighs five times what the part weighs or more. It's it's crazy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, true. if you can keep it as simple as possible with three points of contact, maybe a clamp to hold it down, that's all you need to do. It reduces the cost of the fixturing as long as you can still get to everything on the part and the CMM's not physically going to move it. And the CMM pl- applies very, very little force to the part. <laughs> so it's it doesn't have to be much to hold the part in place and be able to inspect it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. that's that's definitely a a huge a huge point. Uh, we we had one customer that called us and they had a um, a thrust washer that they were they were uh, making and they had a, a pallet full of them that were rejected because they weren't flat. They knew they were flat, but they couldn't prove they were flat. So what happened was they were they were holding them with a with a chuck, a lathe chuck on the table of the CMM. So when they tightened it, it basically crowned upward and, you know, went out of flat. So we came up with a little, uh, that's how we came up with the spider vise. Um, very lightly held it in place, plotted three, three magnets, three points of contact. And we sent them one. We actually had one that we were experimenting with. We sent it down to them to try. And the, the very next day that pallet of junk parts was now good. Yeah, so, so we added that to our product. Yeah, part influence for sure is, uh, is is key. Another common misconception that we see with fixturing, besides it having to be this big, bulky, massive thing, is that it needs to be the exact same every time. And and when I say that, I mean people have the misconception that oh, it's got to be you know within a tenth when I put my part back on there. It doesn't have to be. That's the yeah. job of the CMM and the CMM mm-hmm. program. If you're within probably 10,000, so you can make a seek envelope large enough on your machine to find that part. And once you find that part, you're leveling and aligning to the individual part, not the fixture. The fixture is just there to get you close. Right. Exactly. And that, and that goes back to taking full advantage of the software you're working with. You know, CMMs are meant to do exactly that. You know, they're not meant, they're not meant to be, have to put the part in the exact same spot. They're meant to go find the part. Mm-hmm. Uh, multiple part pallets, pallet housing goes along with that. So yes, you know, utilizing the CMM to its full capability is something that uh, we don't see often. Right. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I never actually thought about that myself where the machine is actually there to do that precise work for you. Exactly. So you don't have to, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. why they're so that's expensive and all yeah. the things now. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a really common question when we have uh, potential customers will be asking about the plates and they'll say, well, how accurate are they? And, and uh, you know, and, and I'll, I'll have to go through the spiel of exactly what you just said. Um, and and one, one time what I did just to prove a point is I took a six by six lock and load plate and I put a credit card underneath the corner of it. I, I literally just tipped it up to throw it off kilter and we put a ring gauge on it. We measured it and got a number. And you know, took the took the credit card out, did it again, got the exact same number. You know, as long as the part doesn't move and the the CMM can come in and, and find it, uh, you know, you're going to get a good a good number. As long as the part's not moving and the fixtures, you know, secure in the program, and the program was, properly. It, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes, because yeah, yeah. in that case, there, there there's actually a way I could do that and change that number. Uh, yeah, depending yeah. on how you align that part and what, right. what you're using right. for alignment. So. Um, yeah. Yes, which goes back to the, you know the, with the fixturing. There's fixturing error which goes into your 
MSA, which is your measurement system analysis, or the amount of fixture error. Um, of course, you want to account for that. And that goes back to holding it static and not moving. That's really what where your error is going to come right. from. It's really a part moving within the fixture. is really the only error you can have from a fixture. So one thing I've noticed, and Steve actually mentioned it to me when we were at, at when we've done some trade shows, and I've definitely seen it and picked up on it. Depending on where you're at, you can always tell when you're talking to the people that that work in metrology and inspection and the folks that that work in machining and don't and and it's it's kind of strange to me as I'm fairly new to this industry where those the paths don't really cross very much enough for you know what I mean for a lot of the well, you're being gentle they, they don't know they don't they don't cross they collide in most places they crash <laughs> right, right yeah they other. crash yeah that's, um it, it is a common problem it's probably yeah. one of the it's what you know it's one of the things we're most proud of is being able to foster a relationship between inspection and manufacturing because mm-hmm. a lot of times those two are not working together right you know right. Um, and it depends on how the, the role of inspection is being played at each facility um are are you checking to accept are you trying to control a process because those are those are what you see that where, where it deviates you Got know it. Uh, and when you when you when your your inspection group is not giving good feedback to manufacturing um mm-hmm. they can become simply pass fail move part people you know, right you right. need to be yeah. able to feedback information to the manufacturing floor right and then, then, then those two start to work together, and they depend on each other. And that's right. what you're looking for in a facility. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, we, we would go to a trade show like East Tech, for example, where everybody's there. And most of the people come over, and they're saying, well, well, how flat are these plates? <laughs> you know, and obviously when we answer them with, you know, the answer how flat they are, but it doesn't – and then we have to follow up with, well, but in the end, it really doesn't matter. You yeah, know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but then when we were at quality show, nobody asked that question one time. Nobody, you know, they knew that it was just a movie. Well, yeah, it was a movie. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. that's a good point. That's yeah. very, very true. I mean, we often we very rarely run into a situation where you know management or upper level management really has an understanding of how to evaluate a CMM programmer or what to expect from a CMM. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. You know, it's, it's, it's more of a they hire a programmer and they have to trust them. You know, yeah. What are some things that that some that companies? Because I mean, we have a lot of a lot of listeners to this, and what are some things that companies could should. Um, Consider when when talking to and hiring a CMM programmer. It's it, it's tough. Um, the, the environment's really really tough right now. There's the, you know in a job market where you know just in general you know you've got the unemployment at a very low rate, and then you have we haven't had a good history in the last thirty years of training CMM programmer. Right. You know we don't there hasn't really been a, a trade or a, a college course that you mm-hmm. could really. There's a few out there, but they're but they're rare and um, they're more deal with academics really than how to relate metrology to manufacturing is what you actually need to have done. Mm-hmm. So to, you know, to, to find someone is very difficult. Um, you know, we've been promoting the concept of contract programming, you know, that, as, as a means to, to alleviate that effectively, you know, and be cost effective, uh, right. you know, because you know, to take someone on and you know, when you think about it, a CMM programmer really has, you know, you only need a programmer when you're writing a new program, right. A new, a first article or, you know, something new comes out. Other than that, you don't need a program. You only need an operator, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, and if most shops aren't rolling out more than four or five first articles, you know, a year. Most of them aren't. So you really only need a program with those, those few times out of the year. The rest of the time, you only need an operator, you know? So why put someone on staff for a whole year when you can contract that out? Mm-hmm. Much more effective. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's for the high production environments where you've got a job shop that changes a little bit, um, but there are still ways to go around that. Uh, I guess what we would say when people are looking for somebody to be a CMM programmer is if you have a high level inspector, 
that is very good on a plate and understands how to lay out the part effectively on a plate, you can transition that into doing it on a CMM because essentially you're doing the same thing. You're still aligning to a datum structure. You're still making sure it's stable and you're still should be doing an MSA on that to make sure your program's correct. Got it. That's a good point because I think that's what we see a lot of me and Matt is, is very few facilities actually incorporate you know, MSA or GRNR into, in, into their into their standard process. And the reason right. for that is it is time consuming and expensive. It is. You know, it, it takes is. a lot of time. It ties a machine up for, for quite a bit. But it, it, it's worth doing if you if you're gonna take the information and use it. You know, if you're gonna take it and use it to improve what you're doing, it's worth mm-hmm. the, it's worth the time yeah. expense. For for our newbie listeners out there, um, can you explain what gauge R and R is? Matt, I'll let you give that one. All right. So a, a measurement system analysis, you're basically looking to find out what variation in your parts is tied up by your machining process and by how you're actually inspecting it. Um, so you want to try to structure it so that you've got a large variety of parts. So when you're trying to do your study, you want to make sure you've got parts from first shift, second shift, and that they're a wide enough range to cover the entire tolerance that you're looking for. Um, so then what you do is you have one operator measure one part three times, second operator measure that same part three times, third operator, and you do this across five to ten pieces depending on you know, the size of the parts, the time of the inspection, and really how much money you want to spend on the study. Um, a, a typical full gauge R&R would be three operators, ten parts, three times each. Um, sometimes you don't have all those parts to do that and you kind of have to mix and match. Um, you can do this with traditional hard gauging. You can do this with a CMM. What we typically see when we do it with the CMM is one piece of that gauge R&R, and the R&R stands for uh, reproducibility and repeatability. The reproducibility piece goes away if the fixturing is correct, because all the operator has to do is put it on the fixture, press the button. There shouldn't be any operator interaction with the CMM itself, because all they're doing is hitting the go button. Um, whereas if you're using hand tools, you know, an individual operator could squeeze the mic a little bit more. They could ratchet it a little bit tighter and that's going to change their value. And you're going to see an offset on the measurements of those parts from operator one to operator two to operator three. The CMM gets rid of that and you should see a consistent value across the board. Then what you're doing is only looking at the repeatability of the program, which goes back to your alignment. If anything's moving on the fixturing while you're touching it. And, you know, some other evaluation methods and the, the metrology behind your program. Yep. Excellent. Did that answer it? That was, a, that was great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, well it, it's important because I've always, I always make this statement all the time that uh, in manufacturing, you know, I think accuracy is overrated. Because I can take one measurement system and, and that measurement can, system can say I'm inches a foot. If I use that same measurement system throughout my process and it repeats, it doesn't matter what the accuracy is. Mm-hmm. Right, repeatability is far more, far, far more important in, right. in manufacturing than accuracy. Yeah, one of the one of the biggest problems that we, that we have, or, or I should say, problems, but hurdles that we have. Uh, so we we produce a lot of a lot of custom fixtures, and we'll do, you know, thirty two up, sixty four up fixtures, and right. for these two hundred and eighty eight little tiny delicate parts, little plastic. A lot of we do a lot for uh, in plastic injection molded parts, and. So when we do these fixtures, we have to make them so that they'll pass a gauge R&R. And yep. that's, you know, and they and, and these, these companies that are paying us to make these fixtures, first thing they do is they'll they'll do a gauge R&R. And it could take a week mm-hmm. to do some of these fixtures. It's very costly to do. And, 
And uh, so it's very important for us to get those fixtures just right. So we have to go through each each station and, and check them with a with a force gauge and make sure that we try to get as much force right. as we can, but without without um, you know deforming the parts. So that's, like, that's yeah. a big that's a big challenge. Absolutely. Well, and that's something that we see with fixturing too. We had a lot of companies that will do like a Lang vice with a custom cut soft jaw. The problem is if you're putting a part on there that can deform and you're not using some kind of torque wrench on it, there's right. where you see your operator to operator variation. Operator one barely tightens it. Operator right. two is a big gorilla out there and cranks the thing. Right, right. And that's where our rapid lock comes in handy because with, with the rapid lock, you can make custom jaws. And we've done jaws that, that go way beyond the, the platform of the vice, but what we do is we, we hold it very strategically and we can dial, you know, the, the, as the inspector, you can dial your, your pressure down to almost nothing. Right, yeah. Most of our pressure, we're running less than five PSI or, mm -hmm. or, you know, somewhere in that range. And, and so that way there, as an inspector, you can set it up and then hand it off to pretty much anybody right. and have them load and unload. And, and, and now it can be, you know, used as, as a production tool. That's the key to using a CMM, really. To get the advantage out of a CMM, palletizing is the way to go and auto run. It allows you to run the run the parts overnight, like you like we talked about before. You know, the ability to set several up at once is an obvious, obvious advantage. Um, yeah, I've seen companies that have giant CMMs and they'll with the modular system, they'll take and they'll run rails down both sides mm -hmm. of it or multiple rails on it, yeah. and then they'll just knock their fixtures in where they need to. They can have like five or six parts set yeah. up at one time. And then run them in a string, yeah. set it up, and then just leave. And then the machine goes in as a, like first, second, third, and all the way around. And then that's like first article inspection for like every part. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I used to at a, at a former former company I worked at, that, but that, we made small little. There were actually little lids that went over a laser crystal, actually, and they were gold plated, nickel striped, and gold plated. So very very touchy. But I would lay out a hundred of these on a modular plate, just using standoffs and the pins. I'd do a hundred, I set it up to go as I left. At the end of the end of the ship, right, yeah. I would set it up, let it run, come back in the morning, collect my data. Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, yeah. So you guys are doing automation in with like robotics and stuff too. Have you guys had any automated? Oh yeah. Um, I'll let Matt recover this. Go ahead. Matt, Matt does a lot of the work with the automation, the robotics stuff. Well, as as Michael was saying earlier, what we see is kind of a shift from a traditional. Okay, you make your parts, you bring them into the CMM. Next couple hours later, you bring another part in. You're constantly waiting for that data. So you're constantly running at risk. Um, so what we're trying to promote and what we see the industry going to is that inspection at the point of use at the machine. Whether you add robotics to it or not to try to improve your um, efficiencies, that's kind of the, the next step that we try to take customers to. But the first thing is data at the point of use. That way the operator is not waiting for hours at the CMM to see, did he make the right adjustments? Did he not make, make the right adjustments? And he's constantly going back and forth and tweaking his part. If he's got the data at the point of use and we're trending that on an SPC chart, he can watch it as it goes. And what we've seen is then he makes fewer adjustments throughout the day, which means he's actually making more parts. Mm -hmm. So by having that inspection right at that point of use, we see an increased productivity without even having to do anything, just by having the data there. Um, so then what we do is the next phase of that is being able to tie that data right back into the machine tool. So we can remove another potential source of error. I mean, we've all done it, whether it's as a CMM program or a CNC program where you go to make an offset. Heck, even if you're writing a report, you type something in wrong. Now, all of a sudden, you're making the next part incorrectly. 
right? So, you know, the CMM is going to produce a set of data for it. It's going to go back to the operator and the operator is going to say, hey, all right, I need to adjust X, Y, and Z. And I'm going to come back to that point in just a second. So they mm -hmm. type in their offsets and hopefully they put the correction going the correct way. If not, they now have to inspect that next piece that comes off of it, make sure that they made the correct adjustment to the tool and keep going. So what we can do from virtually any measurement system that's out there, we can actually tie that back into the controller uh, using our friends at Karen Engineering, um, their AutoComp software. We can take that data set out as a text file, and then we can relate that back to their cutting process and their tools to remove that operator from having to manually input those, those offsets. And we can just keep running. Now, if we add a robot to that system, the operator virtually doesn't need to be there. The only thing I need the operator for is to change a tool. Maybe if there's a stop in the program for some chip wrap, if you're cutting some kind of stringy material like an Inconel, um, and then possibly loading bar stock if it's a bar fed machine. Otherwise, the robot's going to pick up and load the new parts onto the milling fixtures and let it go lights out. Um, so similar to what Michael said, you know, on the CMM, palletizing that and loading it up so you can run it overnight. We can now start doing the same thing with the CNC machines as well. Um, the point I wanted to quickly get back to, um, was making sure that the operator actually does the right inputs and offsets to the tool. What we've seen from multiple facilities is how the part is being held on the CNC is not the same that the part is being held in the CMM. So we tell them that, Hey, you have to adjust your X axis. That's what the report says on the CMM. But in reality, it's their y-axis or z-axis that needs to be tweaked on the machine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So this creates a ton of confusion and wasted time on the shop floor. Um, so that's something that we specialize in when we work at these facilities and help out and do the contract programming is being able to relate that CMM output directly back to the CNC, whether we need to do some kind of little you know, matrix that says, okay, x is your y and this is this – once we provide that data to them, it makes it a much more streamlined process. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We, we um, typically on, on some of the more complex parts, we, when we do the, the, um, the inspection report from, from Calypso, we'll, right. we'll make sure we put some sort of a visual uh, Legend, symbol so on know, there yeah. so that, yeah. okay, yeah. You know, have to push Z, the whole to the right, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and keep it very basic, you know, and it, and it really does help because, just throwing a number at them isn't isn't always right. the best way. Well, to you can do see it. the advantage of taking that that piece out of that process oh, yeah. and letting that be handled by. And of course, with it also flows. All this flows right into your quality codes, your quality requirements, your contractual requirements. It flows right. The SPC goes along with this. All this stuff that you're looking for from your process all happens automatically because of this. And Matt makes a good point too. We have a customer that uh, uh, Matt and Ethan done a lot of work with um, that have that we have a case study on. And uh, it was surprising. The numbers are, are, are surprising. You, you can't imagine how much money you're losing in a production floor. You're chalking it up to the cost of doing business, but actually it's just simply lost profit. You know, it's not the cost of doing business. There's, you know, there's efficiency to be gained there more than what most people can, mm -hmm. can imagine. It's kind of what launched Summit, to be honest. Gotcha. You know, that's kind of what launched. We'll put you guys on the map. So it was just um, basically putting an equator out at the machine. So we had one in-process measurement device for three to four uh, mill turns um, in one facility at a company in New Hampshire. And uh, what we noticed happened was the productivity numbers went up. The scrap rate went down. 
um, for the machines that were utilizing this. And then one month, uh, it actually went backwards and they stopped using this process. And we were able to very quickly identify that those production numbers actually dropped for those machines that stopped using this in process. And the scratch rate went back up again. So it was a very apples to apples uh, comparison across the same milling machines, the same inspection equipment, same operators across all shifts. Um, and at the end of the day, it ended up being something like almost a thousand more of this particular part being produced a month per machine. Wow, uh, there's a lot of a lot of money there. Uh, yeah, about fifteen million dollars for one year. Yeah, it's money well spent. Yeah, so, fifteen million in one year. Holy moly! A million dollars per machine. That's amazing in one year. So it did, so you can see uh, it did. Like I said, you can't you can't. And what they found out, it wasn't. It was just simply a matter of. If I'm wrong, Matt, but it's a matter of, of not stopping the machine nearly as often. It was probably right, the biggest right. increase that they saw. Yeah, spindle down times. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. And because you weren't having a measurement that said, okay, adjust me here, adjust me here, adjust me here. And that's, and that's, what, that's what you saw when you saw the you know the, the histograms. You would see how they were adjusting straight lines. And you and you see that the majority of the time you shouldn't be having to worry more than a handful of dimensions on a part. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, free the print just from a process standpoint, what gives me trouble in a process? You know, it's usually you're only tracking four or five dimensions. Everything else should be pretty static, you yeah. know, and, and having the SPC collecting that data tells you that and you're able to look back and, and make corrections far more effectively than in, if you're just looking at one part of the time and trying right. to react. If you're still running a traditional CMM environment where you're taking a part and you're bringing it in and you're checking every single feature on it that's overkill and it's going to create a bottleneck start identifying inside your process what features you need to check which ones might be out of control or even base it around okay i got a bolt hole pattern i got 12 bolt holes on it i'm going to check the first one and the last one if those two check good i know my tooling was correct everything else in there is going to be fine i'm not too worried about that or if it's the same tool that's cutting five features i'm going to check the tightest feature that's on there and the last one cut now i know that my process is still in control I don't have anything out, and I've minimized my inspection time. And right. uh, I've always said 100 inspection is just a a, a a symptom of a failed process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I go into a lot of different shops. I talk to a lot of different um, people, you know, doing trade shows and right. and uh, things like that. I, I I'm amazed at you go into a lot of inspection departments that have a beautiful CMM mm-hmm. and just a blank. Uh, granite plate, you know, and, and I'm saying, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. uh, you know, we've got, you know, 20 some odd CNCs out in the shop cranking out parts left and right. You've got fixtures to hold these parts and you're going to the, onto the CMM and you've, and it's like, uh, yeah. you have nothing, you know? So why would you treat, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollar or plus machine any differently than you would a CNC milling center or, or, you know, any other machine out in the shop, you know, let's, right. you know, let's fixture it up, make it so you can swap, you know, from one job to another quickly and, and efficiently. Um, you, you're going to, you're going to be getting the most output out of that machine. Well, it's a great point. I'd say that is a, that is a, a common task that we have to accomplish is, 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 is highlighting that in a facility. Because like you said, it's not highlighted. You walk in, anybody can see this or walk in, but yet, how, how is it there and, and management's not pushing this along? How did you invest this much money in this equipment? It's not being utilized. Right. You know, and shining a spotlight on that and getting attention. That is, is, is the challenge. You know, that, yeah. That's what creates our opportunity. I think that's a big challenge um, overall kind of where as a solutions company ourselves here at Phillips, trying to push the industry into understanding that there are more efficient processes and there's a lot more 
there's a lot more to the technology that they think that they're getting into. Right. You know, so like Steve said, they buy this machine that's, you know, multi or hundreds of thousands of dollars and they have a bare chunk of uh, slab of granite on it. Yeah. And then they end up writing it off in corporate says, oh, that was a waste of money that we that was that that yeah. investment was, you know, that was a poor investment. We shouldn't have done that. Whatever. You can't go back. But it gets looked at as a poor investment. But it's only because they didn't never utilize. It. They didn't use utilize it properly. They didn't right. they didn't go to the next step. They didn't yeah. tool it up. They didn't program it right they didn't use it right and i think that the that's a big um still kind of a big learning curve that the industry is still kind of in the midst of well i think that's a good point i think you see that not just with cmms and inspection but technology in general if we go to a trade show we go to you know you're east tech or ips and you go and you see all the technology and you go to the shops and 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 they're not they're not able to utilize it you know the technology is so far ahead of where our manufacturing is actually right. at today absolutely um you know they're, they're a long way from catching even going oh, yeah. today not, not to mention what's coming tomorrow absolutely you know so it's almost moved so fast that you know upper management where they're not able to keep up you know right. the guys at the top don't understand cmns they don't understand autocomp they don't understand these different tools that they could be using you know? and when they get them they don't have the, te- the, the the individual technical skill it takes to make them useful it's hard to find yeah. Now, when we hit, we did we went without a CMM for a long time, and and you know when we finally when we finally made that leap to get a CMM in the shop, it it it, it made such a huge difference for us, um, you know, because we were able to to you know get it get it in the inspection department. Uh, first thing we did, we fixed it up. We kind of this is where we learned how to do this stuff. But we we had uh, buyers coming in the shop, and they said, "Oh, you have a CMM." Wow, you know, okay, well, that, all right, well, yeah. let me let me see if we can get some more prints for you, and, it, and it, it's it's like having having um, a, a, a sales force working for you just because you have that machine and, and you you know you know how to use it and you can actually check their parts and prove that they're, that they're correct. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's amazing to me coming from outside of the manufacturing industry where. I do understand a lot of the, the newer technology, especially, I mean, I do sales and marketing, so I'm not quite on the the manufacturing aspect of it, you know, for, you know, the long-term background and everything, but even people that aren't even using like modern email capability to be able to communicate, you know, in these companies, you know what I mean? Companies that are yeah. still like sending, they would prefer to send a fax. Like it's 1985. You know what and I mean? We're all talking about upper level companies. We're not even mentioning the job yeah, shops. Exactly. The small and middle job shops. And, really and actually, I think that the technology. small and middle and job shops actually utilize the, the, the newer technology more so because technology is advancing so, so quickly and, and so rapidly. The, as technology advances, the cost comes down. So yeah. it becomes more attainable for more smaller and middle, you know, middle-sized job shops to be able to acquire newer technologies and be able to get oh, there, sure. which is actually one of the things that I, I, I speak to students occasionally and, and, and other people about the industry and they don't like the idea of robotics because they think that they're taking jobs they th- and everything. But the idea is it's really, it's creating an atmosphere where you have technology that is affordable for more companies to, mm-hmm. to attain and to, and to implement so you don't have one giant company with all the money paying all the people. You can have a bunch of companies with less people, but paying everybody higher wages because yeah. it, you know, it, it shares. It's it, just, it, like say, it goes back to finding the people. As far as robots replacing people, I've been in this industry now for 15 years. I spent 10 years of that with General Electric 
pretty much as an ME process improvement leader, uh, Lean Six Sigma Black Belt, where my job was to improve efficiencies, save money for the company. And we basically calculated that on, okay, here's all the improvements that we've made. Here's the people that we can get rid of. Out of that time at GE, we never got rid of a single person. We always found something else for them to do. There was always more work out there. We were just more efficient what we were doing. Yeah, totally. No, I I I think that the robots are they are taking jobs. They're taking the crappy jobs that nobody wants to do, right? And they're creating really amazing jobs because now you've got you know you need inspectors to to inspect the robots when they're built. You need people to design them. You need people to repair them. You need people to fixture them. And make well, the challenge is they look at so much those people that were doing this, that low-level job and right. getting them prepared to do that job. Right, and so that's those the people, big hurdle. Those people yeah. need to yeah. need to be yeah, they yeah, much be trained, obviously, but, right. but into a much better job. Right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Opportunities there if we can just get the training and education. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think the I think the bottom level person that's doing those repetitive tasks that the robots are taking over, they're actually the perfect people to go into the job for the programming aspect right. of that because. They know exactly what is supposed to happen because they do it with their hands. Now they just have to learn how to be able to make this robot do it. Right. And the technology with robots is getting so incredibly amazing. That's so simple to be able to get right. a robot and program it with a simple task that, right. you know, I, yeah. that really the people that are in those jobs that say, oh, well, you know, I, you know, you got to be really smart to go to do that type of stuff. Well, yeah, but you know what? Everybody, right. I think, is smart enough as long as you put your, yeah. you know, put your. And a lot of them are teaching repeat it. now too, so you yeah, can just right. teach the robot, you know, by hand. Yeah, grab and onto it, move it around. Absolutely. Know, well, like like Matt described earlier when you when you described that that sale and how it worked with the you know feeding you know feeding the feeding the system, and really it also goes to that, that job really becomes more of a monitoring type job. You're monitoring the process. You know, and teaching that person how to read an SBC, what's it doing, how to, you know, that, that job changes a little bit. You, know, mm-hmm. it doesn't, you, you stop having the traditional type roles, you know, and you have more of a, of a sale monitor type role, mm-hmm. you know. So that's uh, that's kind of the way it goes. Yeah. So, you know, it, it does lower a little bit there the technical skill needed. You're more monitoring and reacting. It's a little more process driven, you know, work instruction driven. Mm-hmm. So it's a little more. Yeah, it's no longer writing pages and pages of code right. to get a robot to do something. You can, right. you know, it's just the programming aspect of it has become so easy and so you know the the user interface has become right. you know very similar to any any other user interface you'd use on the laptop or an ipad or something like that and right. um and, yeah. and then the, and the job becomes less tribal knowledge that way mm-hmm. you know from a shop owner standpoint if i can get some of the procedure and work so that i can pass from one individual mm-hmm. to the next it's a huge benefit i'm not i'm not tied to one person that knows that process right past that point. Right. right they're predicting that over the next 20 to 30 years over thirty thousand new jobs that haven't even been invented yet. Right. So there's right. jobs out there that we have can't even think of yet that we know are coming. And the needs will be there. Yeah. That the needs are going to be there, you know. And I made a joke that, you know, we have these cell phone – you go to the mall. I mean, I know malls are going out. But, for example, you go to the mall, you have a kiosk with your cell phone accessory kiosk. Pretty soon we're going to have like a robotics accessory kiosk. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're going to go be like, oh, I got to go get some new grippers for my, robot. For my <laughs> robot. So I can – you know, because – I don't like the way that that one grips my wine glasses when they load and unload the dishwasher. You know, I need a (laughs) appreciate you guys coming on today. This has been a fantastic. I hope so. I hope so. My first podcast. So I learned a lot. I'm I'm around this stuff all the time and I learned a ton today. This is amazing. Steve, thanks for coming in and sitting in on this. We'd be be very disappointed if you said you didn't learn anything. Very disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Matt, thank you so much for coming in. Michael, thank you very much. Not a problem. Thank you guys for having us. 
If you like what you hear today, I encourage you to head over and follow us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and check us out at www.phillips-precision.com for access to guest info, company info, all of our product lines, as well as videos and demonstrations. And if you're looking for a better way to get parts through inspection faster, give us a shout. We have engineers and designers in-house to answer questions and help develop the effective concepts that you need to deliver perfect parts faster. We very much enjoy having you with us, so be sure to come back for future episodes as we continue our discussion with industry experts on delivering perfect parts faster. Thanks for checking us out again, and we hope that you enjoyed today's show.